This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 187 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State made it two wins from two with a beatdown of UConn under the lights at Center Park Stadium. We'll break down the Panthers' performance and then look ahead to the first road trip of 2023 this Saturday when the team heads to Charlotte. But first, UConn. 35 to 14 final score in favor of the Panthers after a slow start with the only score of the first quarter coming courtesy of a 65 yard Darren Granger touchdown run a strong close to the first half left Georgia State up 21 nothing at the break after getting a stop on the Huskies first possession of the third quarter the Panthers offense embarked on a 15 play 92 yard drive that took 7 minutes 30 seconds off the clock and put the game away at 28 nothing. At that point, it was all over but the crying, as the backups would play the majority of the fourth quarter in a game that had long since been decided. Gentlemen, thoughts on this UConn game? Yeah, I'm going to start with, uh, I guess, cribbing from Twitter, X, whatever, the community note, like, sometimes box scores and statistics will lie to you. And I imagine the majority of the people listening to this podcast are either Georgia State fans trying to understand how to feel or reinforce how they feel about this game they just watched, or Charlotte fans trying to get kind of a feeling for Georgia State heading into this game, or just other teams, other looking in. And if you look at the box score, you know, the final statistics, UConn had 276 passing yards. The margin was only... 394 Georgia State over 326 yards for UConn. So it doesn't feel like as much of a blowout as the score suggests, but let me correct it for you because it really was kind of an emphatic win. And the fourth quarter was the backups coming in and playing really vanilla soft coverage against UConn because after three quarters, the score was 28-0 Georgia State. The total yards margin was 341 for the Panthers. 132 for UConn, that being 96 passing yards and 36 rushing yards. UConn was 5 of 12 on third downs, while Georgia State was 8 of 13 on third downs. Georgia State was 3 for 3 in the red zone to that point, all three of those scores being touchdowns, while right at the end, because Josiah Robinson Robinson got an INT inside the red zone, the final possession, Georgia State didn't score, and that's going to neg on their red zone scoring but it doesn't really count um they weren't really you know it was the backups and all that so all of that is not to be the homer but it's just to, to state reality about that game which was it was a very big very needed georgia state win led by the defense which everyone was expecting after week one i know yeah, you know, you the one thing that tells me everything I need to know about this game is UConn had more passing yards in the fourth quarter than they had total yards through the first three quarters. This game was out of reach. If you want to put a line of demarcation as like, a, oh, it was a th- you know 35-7 win, fine. If you want to say 28-0 and just completely scrap the fourth quarter, totally fine. But Georgia State, I mean, they they really controlled the game in all in, in all facets, they, you know, they, they did enough early with the offense. You know, Darren had that really big run. It looked good. I think it took a couple of series for the offensive line to get going. Um, but pretty much from the opening salvo, the defense was engaged. The defense decided that they were going to play bully ball and it worked. You know, you, 
you really saw a complete role reversal um, with the way that the defense attacked this week versus last week. And they still gave up some plays. I feel like UConn really had to earn their keep. Um, and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll break down each side of the ball specifically, but it, it really was one of the best defensive performances we've seen a Georgia state Panther team play literally ever. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts at the top. You know, I think that, it was not reckless abandon with the play calling from coach Staggs. It was more like there was some abandon. Like you saw a lot of blitzing and pressures, but you saw also in these third and long situations, they also dropped back into some zones and they recognized they had a lot of ground to work with and that they just couldn't get beat over the top on some of this stuff or get caught napping with like a draw play or a screen or whatever. Um, still a couple of those plays, but the fact of the matter was they made UConn drive all game and they only were able to do that against the backups when the game was out of a hand and they were playing some off coverages. Like they hit some third down conversions. There was one third and 15 early, which was literally UConn ran four verts on it. Like just the random third down in the middle of the field and they got it. It was a nice little throw that threaded the needle. Um, But after that uh, was the first turnover they had the first of three. Um, And it was holding penalties that UConn would commit that would turn what might've been a first down conversion on a run to a second or a third and long. And unlike last week against Rhode Island, they really made more of those count. And you know, that's also why I mentioned the third down statistics when I mentioned the lying box score, so to say, because it ended up through the fourth quarter that the third down conversion for UConn was 10 of 18, which above average, not a whole lot better than, what Georgia state manages defense in game one against Rhode Island, but it was five of 12 at the end of the third quarter. So you got five of six on third down conversions in the fourth, making it look worse than it is still a number you can get lower, but they got those stops. They got some big plays on some of those third downs. There's a fumble forced by John Trey Hunter that I just mentioned. The first turnover of game was on a third down and they just got off the field a lot better. And unlike getting kind of, hurt on the game script in the middle eight and just the the second quarter against Rhode Island leading into the second half, they absolutely dominated the game script heading into halftime. And it was kind of a close seven, nothing game that quickly turned into 21, nothing game before you really kind of realized. And then it was halftime and Georgia state had the momentum and they kept that going in the second half. Yeah. I want to hit on that drive that they had, uh, you know, to start the third quarter. It, it really was one of the most impressive drives that I've seen. They, they didn't get the ball first in the second half, um, but they, they got it at around but 12 also, minutes. Not, not to, I mean, obviously we need to talk about the 15 play 92 yard drive, but this is something that even coach Elliott mentioned at his post game was that they didn't get the ball to start. And a lot of times in these games, the last couple of years, when it's not gone well out of the half, whether it's been them starting with the ball or starting on defense, they've either given up a quick score or not done anything on offense. And this was the reversal of that, where they got a pretty quick stop and then barked on a very not quick, long scoring drive. And, you know, the thing that I liked the most about the drive was just the different style of play that they used to move the ball. You know, it wasn't like it was just a quick run here. It was, you know, okay, short gain. 
All right, then there is a penalty on UConn. Okay, now we're going to do a short pass or like a medium depth pass. All right, then we're going to run for a little bit. Okay, then there's going to be another, you know, a a more medium run. And they just kept really moving the ball. Just, you know, I I think a lot of teams will look at Georgia State and say, okay, that's a team that, you know, the quarterback can run. You know, they've got a really good running back in Carroll. You know, they love to play that up-tempo, that high-octane offense. Hey, man, if you're not careful, Georgia State will catch you napping for sure. They will also lull you to sleep. And that was what was so impressive about that drive. They just kept finding ways to get a pick up a first down. And I mean, they only faced what two third downs on the drive. Um, it's it's not like it was a situation where Charlotte was getting, you know, first down winning the sorry. It's not like UConn was winning the down on first and second down and then, you know, that just couldn't get off the field. No, it was really Georgia state kind of doing what they wanted. And even if they had a play with negative yards or, you know, very little game, they still were able to move the sticks and just kind of slow and methodically move down the field. And I, I remember at one point watching the game, I was like, wait, I feel like, I feel like state has had the ball for a really long time. And then, you know, the play by play guy was like, yeah, this has been a seven minute drive. And I was like, Oh yeah, that, that seems to be the reason why. I mean, you said Charlotte, not to call you out, to make a point that it felt very reminiscent of the Charlotte drive in 2021, where they just killed the game off with that long drive that made it 29 uh, that won that one. And it was kind of the same feel because, you know, no lead is ever safe, says, you know, Falcon fan who lived through 28-3 in the Super Bowl. But like at that point, with it being 28 nothing, just having that demoralizing drive, there was still a lot of time and it felt over at that point. And it didn't, you didn't get that jolt. Like you didn't have, oh, they just blocked a punt and Georgia State gave up a score like that. Or unlike Rhode Island, you didn't have where first play of a drive, UConn hit a big play on defense, either for a score or just move down the field. Both sides of the ball, they avoided giving up any momentum. And it it made for a pretty boring second half, especially a a boring fourth quarter, because it was very clear that Georgia State was like, we're not going to make a mistake here. But at the end of the day, you don't need to play for style points. Like there is nothing Georgia State gains from not sitting on that lead like that. Um, and you know, Coach Elliott will take that boring outcome over a scrappy down to the wire game. Uh, and I think especially because we really weren't sure how quickly it was going to mesh with the defense. We thought it was going to be kind of a gradual thing, and so. I think that they played a worse offense than what a Rhode Island was, even though the FCS FBS label. And I kind of suspected that might be the case, but they also played a lot better. And it was not just like a guy made a play here or there. Just you mentioned it, just how they were kind of tentative. Like they felt really confident in where they were supposed to be in this game. And they felt like the ones that were kind of setting the tone rather than trying to play catch up a little bit and just being completely second guessing where they're supposed to be. Uh, I don't know if it was just a case of maybe needing to go out there and struggle and go through that little experience, or if it was a little bit of switching up um, who was playing when, because it did feel a little bit more sub heavy. It seemed like they ran some more packages and they definitely rotated more. They rotated for sure in the first game, especially up front, but even like the linebackers got more like uh, Justin Abraham and Jordan Venzial played collectively, I think 19 less snaps than they did against Rhode Island. And they both had really good games. And so I can't dispute the idea that, you know, less reps, more 100% reps, 
worked out. I mean, we've talked about the strength of this linebacker core, not just being that we think the guys who start are pretty good, but because there's a couple of guys beyond that that can play. And so it does make sense to use that. And you saw that for sure. Um, you really saw that across the board on the defense on Saturday. And and the rotation point is very interesting because I feel like I loved what the defensive line did, but I couldn't really highlight like a specific good game that anybody had, you know, like looking at the box score, you know, if, if you look at uh, Kevin Swint, um, Javon Dennis and uh, Hunter Bryant, Henry Bryant, excuse me, you know, you look at their stats and I, they have, 10 tackles combined out of the 53 tackles that Georgia state had. Okay. You know, they, uh, Dennis was the only one, no, sorry, Dennis and Bryant had a TFL. So they had two of the five total, but like, I don't think that I saw either of them, you know, have this just crazy, you know, demonstrative game at all. But I feel like the defensive line as a whole was really good. And I think that is what was, you know, so inspiring, if you will, about the performance. And and I'll say, we didn't say this in, you know, kind of our preamble. Uh, UConn starting quarterback, uh, Joe Fagnano, he did get hurt pretty early in the, uh, I believe it was the second quarter he got hurt. Um, so he didn't play for a, the majority of the game. They did have a backup that was in there, um, but it didn't matter. And and I think that is honestly equally impressive. Not that I think that Georgia State has struggled with backups, but even before the starter went out, I don't think that he was comfortable doing what UConn probably wanted to do on offense. I mean, they still couldn't run the ball before or after, really. They had some ability to move the ball, but it was still a struggle for the most part. I think, you know, for most of the game outside of the fourth quarter, just because the game was out of reach by that point, Georgia State really just did what they wanted to do defensively. And and like I said, I think everybody on the defensive line played really well. You know, I think I am still I, I don't know that I loved the inside linebacker play nearly as much as I love some of the other positions, but you know, I, I'll get to a point on that a little bit later. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I just think the defense played extremely well and it, it was very encouraging to see specifically after the performance against Rhode Island. Yeah. Kind of echoing what I think I said after the Rhode Island game, Kevin Swinton, Henry Bryant, I think you nailed the replacement of Jimmy Muhammad and Thomas Gore there because they've kind of slotted in and done exactly what you'd hope. Henry Bryan is going to like lead the Sunbelt in getting holding penalties drawn on him by offensive linemen because he has a quick first step and he got at least one or two in this game where just like the offensive lineman had to hold on for dear life to prevent the running back or the quarterback from just getting eaten alive there by Bryant. And that was what you had with Thomas Gore. And so if you've got the life for life replacement there, that's huge. And Swint's the same way where he has stepped in and, yeah, he hasn't. He's got a a half sack. He got a half sack in the Rhode Island game, but it's really been in the run game where he's gotten to shine, and he's just setting the edge perfectly. He's a sure tackle up there, and so add on whatever comes in the pass rushes that gets kind of going. And again, you replaced a guy you know that you thought was going to be a, a real miss for this defense. Uh, that's good IDing by the staff in the portal. kind of growing there. And the last one there is Pringle, who again, you know, he had the INT and that was the big play against Rhode Island. But I've been impressed with his 
run defense. He comes down and he, he goes low on these running backs and gets them down. He got a TFL and he got another play. They were kind of like carbon copies where he just got low on Rosa and knocked him down uh, before he got going. And all part of a trend where UConn wanted to establish the run. Like that was what we figured they were going to try and do. They trust their offensive line. And I think they thought that especially given, you know, looking at the size that they felt like they could move up the middle and they couldn't. Georgia State was working up the middle, not going to be getting anything on that. And I've never thought with the way this defense has been recruited that you're going to have that much success beating them side to side unless you've got just the superior athletes. That was the case again. They couldn't get the outside stuff really working all that well. Um, and yeah, I, I think that Robertson, the backup, was actually a better passer and kind of a, a higher pedigree type recruit as well because he came from Penn State, whereas Fagnano was a main uh, commit, a former main player. And so I think you saw a little bit of that, even granting that it was like shell coverages. They weren't doing much in the fourth quarter defensively against him. Like he put on some nice throws there, um, but they couldn't get their bread and butter going. And they had him off kilter a little bit when they were, you know, in the third quarter on those drives and, the offense did the rest as far as kind of just sucking the game away. And I feel like we should switch to there because we haven't really talked about it as much where, you know, if we're honest, like the down and down with the rushing game is still not really where they want it to be. Like UConn, and they had a good say in this because it's a good defense, and I still believe that, was really, especially early on, winning up front. Um, but that flipped. And the thing that's been consistent the last two games, even while it's not been all that much of a, you're getting four or five yards every carry is the big plays have been there. And the Darren run obviously is the big one. You know, Carol got the exclamation point, the final touchdown of the day um, plays. We've seen a thousand times at this point, where just the guy goes up the middle, whether it's the quarterback or the running back and the, the hole is huge. He goes untouched. Um, and, you know, if you're mixing in those big plays, those big pop plays that, you know, you run the same play, all four quarters and eventually you hit on one mix it in with a offense that is not really making that many mistakes, not turning the ball over, not putting the ball in harm's way with a defense that most of the time, at least is winning down to down, getting in favorable situations, forcing the occasional turnover. I think we still think that there's a, a step that the run game can take for Georgia state, but that formula alone is good enough to win a lot of games on this schedule. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting because obviously, you know, Darren had that 63-yard touchdown in the first half, um, which was, I mean, it was great. I, I, I had a mental note, uh, I think, right before that play. And I was like, man, I feel like UConn's defense really came to play. Like, I don't think that Georgia State's doing, you know, a really effective job running the ball. So when they went empty set, that wasn't the only time they went empty set um early but they went empty set and i was like okay so this is probably a pass no darren gets the handoff and i mean see i'm different anytime it goes empty i assume it's darren run and see, most of the time it's been start. out that way no like what there's a couple of times when i was there in the press box i saw the empty set i was like this darren's gonna keep this and darren keep her up the middle see my thing was i didn't and i on the rewatch i looked at the box um and honestly i just i don't know how you could 
you could do an empty set and have a box that looked that light yeah, because it that's just one it where doesn't the DC's make sense. Got a, well, I guess the DC in this case is Jim Mora. So whoever's doing the stuff in the box needs to say, hey, you need a timeout here, coach. We don't have the numbers. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that I liked about the run was if I could put myself in Darren's shoes, I really feel like he was like, okay – if I get if if I can if they can get this hole and I can just get past that first unit, this is a touchdown. No one else is catching me. And I mean, that's exactly what bore out in the play. And it's, you know, it's weird because after that, I felt like the offensive line was much better. They were a lot better at allowing some run lanes. You still had some, you know, medium and short gains. Um, but I don't think they I, I think it was a little bit of the reverse of last year where the big play was still there, certainly. But they were able to get pushes when it was, you know, third and short, second and short, and they needed to pick up some first downs. Um and, you know, I, I guess I'll use this point to really, you know, just shout out Marcus Carroll for really just looking like the back that you were talking about before the season started. I mean, this is like I, I've always appreciated Georgia State over the last few years and their ability to kind of have a coordinated rushing attack. This is this is a feature back like this is a guy who and even early on when he wasn't really doing much i think his hit like his average was only four and a half on the game and early on he he was definitely getting stuffed he stuck with it he found you know he was a very patient runner by the end of the game and he really let the offensive line kind of dictate where it is that he was going and then when they started kind of winning their matchups up front he started exploding through the holes and it, i mean it's just a really nice rushing attack to watch right now also, he had the fumble, the only turnover so far in 2023. And I want to say he just got hit hard. Like watching yeah. that play, he got smacked. Like that's going to happen. Uh, this is not a Your situation where a it's like Destin Coates or whatever, where the ball carriage is just bad. And I believe Carroll had a little bit of a fumble problem last year. Um, I don't think that that play was that. I also think his knee was like a half second from being down anyways, too. So, yes, obviously keep the ball in your hands through, you know, being down. But, yeah, I was not I was not concerned after that fumble literally at all. UConn made a play. This is a very unflattering transition. But, you know, speaking of people with fumble problems last year, Talik Williams looked great in 2023. He's looked great. I, honestly, I, I'm not, I don't want to say that I've been shocked because, you know, it, it makes sense that a guy would take a step forward. But I, I have really liked him being a compliment to Robert Lewis and Jakaius Cradle. Like I there have been catches where I'm like, is did Sam Pinkney come back? Because this is a guy who's like his catch radius, I feel like has increased. And, you know, I'm not saying that. Darren could throw him some better balls, admittedly, but Talik really has looked great through two games. I'm glad that you mentioned him. Well, yeah, and the other thing I was going to say, you know, about the touchdown run, about just the offense kind of growing into the game, I think it was the pass that kind of set it up because the play before Darren's touchdown run was a third down conversion to the cradle where he came over the middle and they went spread out, empty set, like you said, and I think you saw the cornerbacks kind of staying where they were, keeping their eyes on the receivers because they had just gotten beat because Cradle got open in the middle in in between some zones there. Uh, And later in the game, on the second touchdown drive that culminated in Robert Lewis's touchdown on a pitch-perfect back shoulder fade by Darren, really could not have thrown that ball any better. It was a couple of slants over the middle to Jakari Carter, the newcomer from Merrimack, that 
got about like 30 yards in two plays and set them up in the red zone. And that was a nice little wrinkle. I think they needed to get some of the more quick stuff in the passing game going because UConn was kind of there teeing off on the run and you needed to kind of catch them in between. And I thought that was a good little switch up in the middle of the game by Trent McKnight play calling. And, you know, you mentioned the long drive earlier. There were some runs in there, but there was also a couple of catches by Ty Leak. And uh, I think there might've been one by, by Lewis uh, early on in that drive, um, maybe like 15, something like that. And it doesn't ever get to the point where you're going to be throwing 40 times and it's going to be more about the chunk plays than it is the, you know, you're going to line up and pass it three times in a row any given uh, time, but going up against good defenses. And I still think UConn is a good defense. You're going to need to find more of that stuff. And some of those throws have been where Georgia state's passing game is maybe lacked, even with the improvements they made, they made last year. And so seeing them go to that and find success with that, I think not only helped them in this game, but helps you feel a little bit more comfortable about the, just the diversity of the offense going forward. And it's going to help them, you know, like finding different ways to, you know, be able to move the ball when one thing's not working. It's, it's really been a nice offense so far this year. And I, I kind of feel bad that they only scored 35, even removing that they ended in the, they ended their last drive in the red zone, but couldn't score. I really feel like they should have hit, you know, 45, almost 50. They really like, well, if they, there if they got another throw. chance, there yeah. was the, the well, early when it was still seven, nothing Darren had Robert Lewis for a touchdown and he was like a couple of feet too far, but like, the throw was there and that was something they had been setting up with all the run as they were waiting for the shot play and he was open. He had beat his guy. The throw was not too far, but it was just enough that it was out of reach. That would have been I, six. I feel like if he throws it up the field instead of over the field, it's a touchdown. I think Robert would have ran under it if it, because just the way that the loft was on it, as long as he throws it towards the end zone and not closer towards the sideline, he would have caught it. But I mean, it was a great play. And the other, we, you know, we usually just do this with the offense and the defense. And last year was like the, oh, and I guess we have to talk about this special thing, special teams thing that cropped up. Really, you can't say anything negative again. Like the quiet thing that we probably are not going to talk much about, but has been there every game is Braden McAllister is just hammering the ball in every kickoff. That's the only job he's currently working with, but he's doing the mostest with it. He's just got a boot, getting touchbacks, pinning teams back. Uh, Cade Loggins again pretty consistent on the punts and forced another turnover. And I think that the uh, muffed punt was a lot on the Yukon returner kind of getting his, you know, his feet and his body getting ahead of his hands, catching the ball, but guys are right there to jump on it. And that was probably the play that flipped the game because you're punting there up seven, nothing. Yukon might be able to get a drive there and tie it seven, seven going near at halftime feels a little bit iffy, but, Jump on the ball, get it in plus territory. That's where you get your second touchdown. And that kind of set the tone for the next little stretch of game that put it away. And that was, you know, the final theme for me of this game was just they were clinical. Like they weren't always great. And the offense still is stuff they can work on. Got challenged by a good UConn defense. But UConn made more than Georgia State's share of mistakes. And Georgia State took advantage of a lot of those mistakes, put the game away, got a comfortable win. I'm trying to remember. I can't, I didn't write the name down, but there was somebody I saw on special teams. Um, I, I don't see. 
the name. It might have been no, it wasn't Leach because it was definitely not somebody who Jordan I, Jones stuck I, somebody on that first punt return. Like as soon as he caught it, stuck him. If that's yeah, what I'm about it wasn't Jones. I I can't remember. Maybe it'll come up to me next week when he has another good play. But there, well, there's some there's been some dogs on the special yeah. teams, both in the punts and in the kickoffs. Like they those gunners have been killing guys you know it has been very like teams are not returning the ball right now against georgia state and i don't know if it's a size thing or if it's a speed thing but it was i think i know the player you're talking about yeah. evan graham lit up a yes dude on a kickoff. yes it was graham absolutely he, he really came out of nowhere to the returner like the actual tackle might should be credited to the yukon up back because it was really him who went into the guy he absolutely lit that dude up yeah, it, it has been very nice to see Georgia State. I mean, they're just not giving up returns. And there's been a couple of times where the kick has not allowed the coverage team to get there in time. So there's been like a, a you know, not a huge return, but a medium-sized return. But it's it's been really nice to see just kind of the coordination of the special teams right now. All right, let's go ahead and move on to this weekend's contest at Charlotte, Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Which we will be at. Yes. Yeah, Brady and I will be there, and you guys can either be there or watch it on ESPN+. And this might not be the last game this week that we will be at. Yeah, stay tuned for that one. Let's go ahead and talk about this game. 49ers are 1-1 one one of the season so far, fresh off of a 38-20 loss at College Park against Maryland. They're in the first year of the Biff Pogey era. He was previously the associate head coach at Michigan, the head coach of a Maryland high school power in St. Francis Academy, and at one point, a hedge fund manager. So this will be the rubber match of the team's first five meetings as the series is split 2-2 two and two all time. Georgia State will want revenge after dropping last year's matchup 42-41 in Atlanta. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the 49ers? Yeah, I think that the vibes are kind of similar to last week where it felt like it's a winnable game. I think the difference here is you've got last week's tape on to where, like, it's another team, I think, kind of like UConn with Charlotte, that they're maybe going to struggle to get the pass game going. They're really going to be looking to establish a run. Biff Pogey saying a lot of the similar things that you probably heard from Sean Elliott in his first couple of years at Georgia state, as far as that goes. And so I'm not predicting another 21 point, whatever win, but the formula is there that this feels like another team that if everything goes right, and that's a big if, and you're going on the road for the first time. So that carries all that that carries with it. It could be another game kind of like just played out because they showed they can do it now. Got to do it week to week. Can't go into this game thinking you're going to do it exactly the same way you just did it. But I feel like if you don't have more confidence going into this game, you're looking for reasons not to be confident because last week kind of showed the blueprint and not every team on the schedule is going to be the same way. But I think for another week, it's kind of a similar profile that Georgia State, if they play the card right, can take advantage of. This Charlotte game really kind of highlights the difference, you know, an out-of-conference schedule makes. Um, I think Georgia State played well the first two games this year. Um, I think last year even they played well those first two games, but they still lost. Um, I really do not feel good if I play for Charlotte right now. Um, And I think the thing that really highlights this to me, Charlotte is 110th in rushing defense currently. That is not where you want to be when you face Georgia State 
especially Georgia State right now, who is 12th in rushing offense. And I, it's we've played everybody has played two games. You know, we are talking about 83 rushing attempts. And you know, one of them was against Maryland. Good offense. Good football team. Exactly. However, Maryland moved the ball on the ground extremely well against Charlotte. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Georgia State is going to move it as well. I just know this is probably not going to be like last year if Georgia State has plays like they have played the first two games this year. There's no, you know, oh, we had some close losses, just couldn't get it done, and we're kind of banged up. You know, by all accounts, Georgia State is much healthier this time. By all accounts, you know, Charlotte doesn't have a senior quarterback with, you know, snaps on snaps on snaps under center for them. Um, And the targets. They lost those receivers. There was a really good receiving core with Du Bois and Tucker. Exactly. You know, that's... And and look, Georgia State is still very capable of losing this game. I don't want to sit here and tell you that I I think this is going to be like a 50-point beatdown or anything like that. No. I just think with the way that Charlotte has played through those first two games um, and the way that Georgia State has played, Georgia State should be able to run the ball the ball very effectively on Charlotte. And I just don't believe that Charlotte will have enough offensive firepower to match Georgia State with the way that Georgia State is playing right now. See, like I said, confidence. David's exhibiting it A, B, and C. Um I do think that Charlotte believes they are a better defense than that. They are a solid defense. And I think that is their more of their strength of their team. I think when the season's said and done, kind of no matter what Georgia State does on the ground in this game, I think it'll be a pretty solid defense. I, I just wonder about just the offensive side of things. And it's still early days for them. They're still probably trying to find their identity, you know, who they are on offense and defense to a degree, but more so offense right now. Um, a lot of new faces, first-time head coach. There's a lot that goes into kind of figuring out how you're actually going to, you know, in practice look as a team and how you want your team to look like. And so there is also a piece of this where it's like with Sean Elliott being in his seventh year and Biff Pogey being in his first year and these programs, like there, there isn't an obvious talent advantage really either way especially because Poji brought in a lot of his former players at uh, St. Francis Academy and Michigan and went to the portal pretty heavily to bring in guys. But as far as like where these teams should be at year one versus year seven, Georgia State coming in on two wins, like there is a certain degree of like, it's not like if you lose this game, you feel like you're in a bad place. But if you're Georgia State, this is the kind of, the kind of game that you win and the other team, in this case, Charlotte, looks at it as like, that's what we're trying to be. And I wouldn't have said going into the season, really, that the Georgia State could take that kind of tack because they hadn't proved that. They hadn't looked that good. They lost a lot of these tight games. Uh, they stunted some of the momentum they had gotten from three straight bowl games the years before. Um, but it seems like all of that is working. And so the ways you're losing games you know, with turnovers, bad plays on special teams, that could happen. You know, road game for the first time. It's a, not the friendly home environment. You're taking a bus up. You're all of that. 
if they lose the game and stuff like that is happening, it will be uncharacteristic from what we have seen so far, with the exception of some blown assignments on defense. But that got corrected in a week. And so you've also seen about equal film of the defense looking pretty good, competent, and sure of themselves. And so it's just a case of like, this isn't a game that if you played it 100 times, Georgia State wins 99 out of time, you know, 99 times out of 100. Like, Georgia State is not that much better. I don't want to have it be just like full on that type of cockiness getting displayed. But I think you play this game 100 times, Georgia State should win the majority of them, just where these programs are at right now, even with it being on the road. And, you know, you talk about kind of different vibes this year, trying to reset things. They're able to get to three and zero, win this game against Charlotte. It's the first time that's ever happened for Georgia State, and so much of the last couple of years has been about these slow starts. That you know, in twenty twenty one, they got past it and they went on a real tear. But they kind of got to where they needed to win seven of eight to end the season to get to where they wanted to be. And last year, they started out zero and four, and they couldn't get all the way back. And it's just a completely different world where if you're halfway to bowl eligibility, three games in. The vibes are good around the team. You've got less of a, you know, you've got more of a margin of error as you enter what's going to be a tough Sunbelt slate. But really, it's the vibes. Like, you know, this team hasn't had this type of start literally ever. So we don't know what it's going to do. But it's certainly no accident that when teams start out 3 and 0, it's pretty rare that you see teams collapse or, you know, 3 and 0, 4 and 0, whatever and 0 you want to give it. Like, Teams that have these strong starts, it's the exception and it's the, oh, what happened when you see a team just collapse down the stretch? And so for all of that, I think it's still a game you circle as one you feel like you you should win, going to help you a long way to all the goals you want to achieve if you can win it. And it'll be nice to get on the road, I think. You know, a lot of the things they worked on over the offseason came into, you know, they got tested against Rhode Island. And so you you certainly have tested some of that, but it is another beast going on the road and doing it. And that is maybe the environment where you're going to have some cracks in that. So it'll be a good test for them. Yeah, I was curious to see who the uh, third opponent was in 2019. Um, and that absolutely was the you last. Were at that game. State. Yeah, that was the last Georgia State game I have seen. Uh, they went on the road, of course, to Western Michigan, and it, uh, let's say, didn't go well. Um, I am the perpetual jinx. We know this. Um, but yeah, I, I like what you said about the vibes. You know, I don't think there has ever been an opportunity really for Georgia State to be where they have the position that they're in right now. Western Michigan back then was, you know, a perpetually good team in the MAC. I mean, um, consistently I think they could have lost bowl that eligible. Game by less than 46, but yes, I they could that, have. That was a winnable game for sure. Things got away from them, but yes. And, and, you know, I think that was the team that, you know, I have spoken to a lot of people from Kalamazoo up here. Um, they often talk about how Western Michigan is usually pretty good at home. So, you know, it was a definitely a tougher matchup, I think, than what Georgia State has right now. And, you know, I don't I don't want to look past this opponent because I don't think it's fair. But, you know, just as far as the vibes go, you could do worse for Georgia State, you know, going into Sunbelt play, already having three wins, like you said. You know, only needing to win three of the remaining what nine games just to get to a bowl game 
that's very possible, you know. And I, and the other thing too with that is it's kind of like basketball when a player is struggling, you know, just seeing seeing yourself get off the field on third down, seeing yourself, you know, have good offense and being able to run it on anybody, that really does build your confidence, you know. A lot of sports sometimes with momentum is just the innate belief that yes, I am better than you. Yes, I can beat these teams and, you know, maybe there's not a Yukon level defense in the Sun Belt. Maybe the Sun Belt defenses are better. You know, maybe there's not a Charlotte uh, a Charlotte on Georgia State schedule. Maybe the teams that they play are better. Um, but at the same time, though, you know, if you if you see that you can beat one team, you know, a lot of the the recipe that Georgia State has and is using to you know win some of these games, it's a repeatable formula. It's a formula that they're going to need to beat. They're going to need to use to beat Troy, to beat you know James Madison, Georgia Southern, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, I, I think. Take care of business this week and, you know, see what happens. Definitely. And I'm just excited to get back on the road again. A really nice schedule lined up just as far as travelability. And this is the first of multiple that me and Jordan plan on being at. Excited to get up to the Queen City. Uh, hopefully see some Panther fans up there in and around the stadium before the game. Uh, yeah, if you're uh, there, give a shout. Do you see me? All right, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, before we get you out of here, though, of course, we do have to take a look at what is going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. Relatively light week compared to some of the other ones, but still plenty to uh, get excited about. On Friday, women's cross-country travels to Huntsville, Alabama for the Southern Showcase, hosted by Jacksonville State. That starts at 9.30 a.m., all-day event. And then later that night, volleyball travels to Greenville, South Carolina to face Furman at 7 p.m. That match will be on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, volleyball continues their South Carolina road trip at Presbyterian in Clinton, South Carolina at 2 p.m. And then, of course, football at Charlotte on ESPN Plus and WRSFM 88.5. That game again at 6 p.m. kickoff from Jerry Richardson Stadium. Brady and I will be in attendance, so you can look forward to our coverage of that on Twitter and on Panther Talk. And then at 7 p.m., men's soccer hosts Old Dominion at the GSU Soccer Complex at 188 MLK. That match will be on ESPN+. And then moving on to Sunday, women's soccer travels down the road to Statesboro to face Georgia Southern at 4 p.m. That game will be on ESPN+. And that's all that's going on this week in Georgia State Athletics. Hope to see you on Saturday in Charlotte. If not, make sure you follow along, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have a great week, and go Panthers!